Hey everyone, welcome to the Deeply Discussing Movie Podcast. Every week, four to six of us get together and discuss a movie. At the end of the episode, we announce the movie for the following week. All movies are available from streaming services, either as part of your subscription or to rent. Thanks for listening. Now, on with the show. Welcome to the Deeply Discussing Movie Podcast. I'm your host, Dale Maxfield. I'm joined by... God damn. Welcome to the Deeply Discussing Movie Podcast. I'm your host, Dale Maxfield. I'm joined by Aaron Caldwell. Hello. Alicia Walker. Hello. And Nathan McKinney. Well, hello there. And today we are discussing Seconds, which was Nathan's pick. Um, But first, we're going to talk a little bit about what we've been watching lately. Aaron, what have you been watching lately? I've been watching the show Lock and Key on Netflix. Yeah, um, how is that? You know, it's all, it's all right. It they they've made a few departures from the uh, source material and I'm waiting to see what they do with that cuz they haven't really done much. Um it's very much following the kids at the moment instead of the overarching story of, of the history of the house. I'm not familiar so, with any of it, so... Yeah, it it's a good show. Um, I don't know how well of an adaptation it is right now. What's it about? Uh, it's this family, their father gets murdered by some psycho and they move back into his childhood home and this house has a legend behind it about these hidden keys that have magical properties Um, and the kids start finding these keys and, and weird things start happening and there's a power struggle over getting these keys and uh, it's a very strange story. It's written by Stephen King's son. Oh, jeez. Is, is, is Bagul involved? Was... Bagul. Uh, no, no, not yet. <laughs> so I thought it was a, a comic series on Image Comics. Is, that, is it a different thing? It was a graphic novel, yeah. A graphic novel. Well, I think it came out as issues originally. Maybe. Yes. Uh, okay. I think they okay. released it. Um, I think there was an introduction graphic novel, and then there were issues. They broke it up into issues, and then the rest of the series played in story arcs. I had no idea that was related to Stephen King at all. It's uh, written. His son uh, wanted to kind of make his own way, so he goes by the name Joe Hill. Uh, it wasn't revealed until like his second book that he was Stephen King's son. Huh. Okay. All right. Anything else? Uh, no. That's that's pretty much it. Nathan, how about you? Um. Well, we've been trucking along on various TV series. Um. I think uh, we just started up Big Mouth season two. Or at least for my sake, uh, Alicia's already seen that one, but um, enjoying that as we go. Um, I, I think I'm especially fond of uh, the characters growing on me the most is probably the uh, really old 
scraggly monster. Not the not the hormone monster. The hormone yeah. monster. That's the really old scraggly one. The one he's with the broken the, horn. He's yes. just off the charts weird, <laughs> and I love it. Um, I'll, I'll let, we did watch a movie, but I'll let Alicia talk about that one a little bit. But um, I think that's the main thing we've been really watching. Well, I uh, started watching this weekend the new series Run on HBO uh, with Meryl. I think it's Meryl Weaver. I think that's her first name. And uh, the guy, the um, Scottish Irish actor, I can't remember redhead. He's in Star Wars. Hux. Is, yes. Oh, his, Don uh, Gleason. Thanks. Yeah, Don thanks. So um, I've been watching that, and that's been really good so far. There's only been two episodes. They're about thirty minutes, and just knock a couple out really fast. What's that about? Um, well, it's it, it, it. You still really don't know. Essentially, these two people knew each other years ago in college. You don't find that out until a little bit into it. But um, essentially, she's sitting in her car, and she gets a text from him that says "run," and then she thinks about it, and then she texts back "run." And essentially, they just both leave whatever they're doing in their lives, and they jumped on a. They met in New York. She flew to New York. They jumped on a train, and that's kind of where they're at. So they just kind of have had each other as their escape plan it sounds like so far out of whatever's happening in their life that's not going very well so um yeah they just like left with the clothes on their back and whatever and and it's kind of all a mystery but uh phoebe waller uh kate's is phoebe waller bridge i'm screwing up everybody's name today phoebe waller phoebe kate's waller, yeah. <laughs> That sounds I got, like a good I got a whole name. Phoebe Cates, you know, <laughs> she's in a red bathing suit. No, so she, anyway, she's one of the producers of it and uh, and writers, I believe, as well. So, is, is she the one that did Fleabag? Yeah, she yeah. did Fleabag, and, and also she does Killing Eve. And she's uh, writing the next, or a good chunk of the next James Bond movie. She's, really? she's the one that Daniel Craig went to bat for on yeah. the next James Bond well, movie. Well, she rewrote a lot of yes, the next they James brought Bond her, movie. Exactly. Yeah. They brought her in to help out with some of the So, script. I mean, I I was guessing from the 30-minute episodes, but I guess I'm and and now from the writer, I'm guessing Run is a comedy. Yeah, uh I mean, suspense and comedy is just kind of it, it's just frantic. Like the whole thing is just you don't really know what's happening. It's it's really quick dialogue like a lot of her other stuff has been mm-hmm. um but uh you know i just i just finished episode two so i can't really speak too much to how, where it's going to go and and i and i think they've got six episodes right now and i'm assuming they're dropping one a week like they usually would for hbo so we'll see how that turns out but it's it's something new and interesting to be watching i think that's cool the other thing that we, uh, I guess I will talk about. Go ahead. Is the, uh, we actually decided to support one of our local theaters and kind of went online and uh, took a look at what they were offering as a streaming option. And uh, you can stream a movie for 10 bucks basically, but it goes straight to the local theater, or at least a good chunk of it does. So we ended up streaming one. It was a documentary called Bookshop, I think it was. I think it was Booksellers. Maybe. Booksellers, or yeah. it was Booksellers, maybe. Um, and I think it's probably a documentary that would have been with a wide release on some of these indie theaters right now, if it hadn't been for, so it's a, it's a new doc, yeah. but basically it's a, it's a really loving portrayal of antique, uh, booksellers and dealers. Uh, the, 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 they go to a convention, but they also kind of, it's all the New York, the ones that are based out of Manhattan and, and Brooklyn and whatnot. 
Um, and they interview them and they kind of talk about each other and they talk about the history of booksellers in New York City. Um, and of course, you get to look at lots of lots of lots of lovely bookshops and um, really cool books, quite frankly. I mean, they, they kind of zero in on a few different books as you're going. Um, it's a little schmaltzy, but if you like books and going into bookstores, I, there's nothing wrong with it. It's great. Well, and I think something that was really cool about it is uh, one of the main focuses of the story is talking about how things have changed now with, of course, internet sales and people, you know, it, it's not so hard now to find that rare book or that, you know, something you might want. You just jump on eBay or something, some other platform online, and you can find something that otherwise people would have hunted for for years. And you had people, their entire profession was to hunt down special rare books and things like that. So it was kind of talking about the change in the industry and where it's going and what the future is for uh, booksellers, especially, you know, ones that are for rare books. Yeah, I guess no. they, they quoted at one point there was something like, how many? There were hundreds of hundreds, hundreds of, of booksellers bookshops in New York. And now and there's like 90 or something in all of New York. You, you mentioned you were watching this on... Um, through through something to help your local theater was this their website or a third party yeah. app yeah actually we went and looked at a couple of different the local theaters here of course everybody on this podcast saw uh kansas city so i'll just kind of name drop the couple of theaters that we looked at we looked at what they're showing at screenland and what they're showing at the glenwood arts and there is at the Screenland here in town, there were probably about 30 movies on there that you could choose from. And basically, you just go to the website for Screenland. And I think Booksellers was actually... And the reason I say I think it's probably a new release is I think Booksellers was one that we saw on both yeah. both of the two websites we looked at for different theaters. So if it's an independent theater you in your local area, you probably can go find that particular movie. But there's lots and lots of movies that um, would be coming out right now that you could buy... A ticket for like nine bucks or whatever and have a nice movie in night so uh, that's where we saw that one yeah it's kind of a great thing that a lot of the small theaters I think are doing to try to survive of course right now they're needing everybody's support and what you can do is a lot of their websites they have a, a whole lot of different movies not just new releases but some of them are bringing back i know the tivoli was bringing back some older features from years past mm -hmm. they had like eat drink man woman and some other films we were looking at that you could also stream and of course the money goes to support the theater during the shutdown of course by the time this all comes out we'll all be going back to normal theaters maybe but i don't know <laughs> they're, they're probably hurting <laughs> or not <laughs> Or you'll be the last one alive listening to us. Uh. I'm sure that's <laughs> it. Maybe we'll just all be sitting six feet away from each other at the theater. With a plastic wall. We'll, we'll all be sitting in plastic boxes watching our movie. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, I, have to, I have to own up to my shame again this week. Um, <laughs> the, the creators Mark. of 90 Day Fiancé... Are fucking geniuses. They're not. <laughs> no, the people on the show are not geniuses. The people who created the show and figured out ways to like milk it for everything it's worth. It it it's it's mind-numbingly brilliant. So, I watched the before the ninety days thing, which is one of the it's one of the more recent things that the spinoffs of the show. And that's actually people that 
aren't doing the 90-day visa. They're getting to know each other internationally and sort of back and forth. The big draw of that series is that those people are all batshit insane. So it's fun to watch because they're so crazy. It's not like as muted or subtle crazy as the rest of the shows are. But then if you go back and watch the original series, after season three, they started a new, a new series called 90 Day Fiancé Happily Ever After. And it picks up with the same couples from the earlier earlier seasons and follows what's going on in their lives now. So now I'm on this dual track where I'm bouncing back and forth between the original series and the Happily Ever After series. And the new series is introducing me to new characters so that I can be even more um, horrified when I watch them on the Happily Ever After section of it. And it's just trash such <laughs> such trash um i i i i'm sorry for how much of it i've watched um i think i must be i must be getting close to the end of it but there's so much of it it may take me another week to to burn through all of it so <laughs> where where would one join you on this quest it's all on Hulu. No, we don't need to know that information. That's a lie. And here's the craziest part. So it's on Hulu, right? And um, I think there are, I think there's either like five or six seasons of the original show on there. Two seasons of Before the 90 Days, which are the craziest ones, which th- that was my starting point. Um, there's three or four seasons of the Happily Ever After. And then they have more spinoffs that are new enough that they don't have them on demand on Hulu. You have to get the live TV service to watch them. So, like, they've got one that's called uh, 90 Day the Other Way, which is people immigrating to other countries to get married instead of people immigrating here to get married. It's like... I kind of want to see it now. <laughs> I don't. Know I don't know what's wrong with me. He's maybe fanning this, so hard. Yeah, maybe we need to turn this podcast into an intervention. Right. <laughs> Too late. <laughs> I think he's who gone. hurt you. This, my Google Fiber firehose of porn has not saved me from this. I, I gotta watch this garbage all the time. Oh, well. Well, speaking of things that are not garbage, let's talk about the movie, Seconds. <laughs> um, Already high praise. This was this was Nathan's suggestion. Um, Alicia, Aaron, have you seen the movie before we were assigned it this week? No, not before this week. I had not seen it, no. I hadn't seen it. I hadn't really even heard about it before. Um so I'll, uh, I'll I'll go first here, um, try and make up a little bit for, you know, the hundreds of hours I spent watching other <laughs> stuff. Um, so uh, I, I was pretty aware early on that the cinematography was excellent, uh, especially for the time. I guess the guy that uh, did the cinematography for this won best cinematographer like three different times and he was nominated for this movie as well 
Um, they did lots of things that they just either didn't or couldn't really do back in the sixties. Like, um, like cameras attached to people seeming stuff. Um, or, I mean, it was really obvious to me, but it wouldn't have been obvious to somebody watching back then that like there were scenes where it was follow the camera was following a guy kind of over his shoulder, but the camera and the guy were both really on wheels and they were being wheeled forward. So they were both just sort of floating ahead. There wasn't the whole like stepping movement going. It wasn't happening. So the first part, it's really well shot. And then, you know, it, it just sort of eases itself into this sci-fi premise of changing this guy's identity to some new identity. Um, and then you realize that they actually change actors which was also like a brilliant move. Um, and from what I've read about this, that was actually Rock Hudson's idea. He didn't want to play the earlier version because he didn't think it would be convincing enough. So he talked John Frankenheimer into having somebody else play him for the first 40 minutes of the movie. Um, and I think the movie's well served by that. Um, I, I can understand why um, this was a controversial movie in 1966. Uh, I can understand why people were offended by it. Um, I know it got um, pretty much pretty trashed by the press at Cannes, even though it was nominated for the Palme d'Or. Um, Frankenheimer wouldn't go to the uh, press conference. He sent Rock Hudson instead, and Rock Hudson had no answers to the critiques about the movie. He's like, I was in it. That's about it. That's about all we had. <laughs> so uh, there was all of that sort of thing. Um, I love the way that, like, they show you the guys in that drab room, and you're like, something bad is going to happen here. And sure enough, it does. <laughs> and then um, we meet the guy who's Charlie, and it's the fucking Jaws mayor. <laughs> his, yeah. his friend is the Jaws mayor. So... <clears throat> Um, yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was really good. Um, it's a really intriguing story. Rock Hudson's performance is pretty incredible. Um, he does a really good job playing a drunk in that whole scene. And I found his, uh, sort of, you know, breakdown trying to escape at the end, uh, actually unsettling to watch. So I'm sure there were people that were, were freaked out by it. Um, plus they actually had like footage of a real rhinoplasty in this movie. Surprise. Um, <laughs> which I guess supposedly John Frankenheimer had to shoot himself because the original cameraman fainted while they were trying to shoot that. So good times, Man, I really enjoyed this movie. Like it, it got me right at the beginning. I love, I love these old timey movies where something <laughs> benign happens and the camera like zooms in on somebody's face and you got the bum 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 music. I just, I love it. And that's right off the bat. The guy hands him the note and he just, it, they make it like it's the the most dastardly thing that ever happened. <laughs> and it just had me right from the beginning. You know, I, I had never seen this movie before, but as I'm watching it, 
like this this weird feeling like I've seen this. Oh, this premise it's, is pretty popular. Yeah, like especially recently, there was a movie with uh, Ben Kingsley and Ryan Reynolds that had a very similar premise. Um, it, it was just it was so good and, and so dark, and then uh, you know Rock Hudson was in it, and it was so against type for him, um, and. It's it's dark and drab, and then all of a sudden there's this batshit insane like orgy party that's going on, and you're like, <laughs> "What the hell just happened?" Um, I, I just I'm I'm still trying to process it, but um, then it it just immediately shifts right back to darkness. Um, you have that that awesome scene where he goes and revisits his old house and talks to his wife. Um, well, the, uh, original actor's wife. And, um, then you, you think, okay, well, yeah, he's j- they're just going to put him in a new body and he's going to run off and, and do whatever. And then a priest is there and you're like, well, why is there a priest? And, it, it was. It Guess was where beautiful. the cadavers come from, <laughs> right? <laughs> Don't complain. Yeah, that's 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 the rule. And and uh, another another thing that it did. Um, I, I really want to know how they shoot things like this. At least in that time period, the scene where they drug him to get the blackmail. How they make the room look so oddly shaped and at a weird angle, like it, it, it's completely unsettling. The entire scene, um, not just because of what's going on in the scene, but how it's framed. It, it's so strange. It's very Alice in Wonderland. Yeah, yeah. It, it was. It's kind of like. As he's as he's moving forward, the camera kind of pans out, and it almost looked like the room was melting, kind of like a dolly clock. It it was it was delightfully weird. I, I enjoyed this movie quite a bit. Well, overall, I liked it pretty well too. Um, it, to me, it really just seemed like an extra long episode of the twilight zone Mm -hmm. because i felt like a lot of the stuff happening in the movie um a lot of the ways they were they were shooting it and the close-ups and kind of expressions on people's faces and everybody crowding around and things like that kind of reminded me of a lot of what i've seen on the twilight zone over the you know series um i really liked it you know about 20 minutes in i realized oh my god that's john randolph that's the Chevy Chase's dad from Christmas Vacation and I feel like I've seen him a lot more in movies when he's much older than I have when he was younger and so I kind of looked up some stuff on him and didn't realize he was one of the actors that was on the blacklist for the longest uh, you know back in the 50s so that yeah, was very several of the cast were uh, blacklisted yeah. actors that John Frankenheimer brought out that was really uh, interesting and really cool thing, I think. Um, I also was, you know, pleasantly surprised. I've, you know, seen all the old, you know, romantic comedy Rock Hudson movies like Pillow Talk and, you know, kind of the whole spread he did with Doris Day and even some of his other more dramatic turns that he tries to do. 
Um, but I think this was one of his more uh, successful dramatic roles, I think, that he's had. I thought he did a really good job in it. And I liked, you know, again, a lot of that mystery and suspense of what's happening. And as you're piecing it together, what's going on. I do feel like they should have spent a little more time, you know, after he's transitioned into his new life, which, by the way, wow. Like, how about that house, which apparently was John Frankenheimer's house, I guess, uh, that they used to film as Rock Hudson's residence in Malibu. But um, once, you know, he's, he's kind of trying to figure things out and adapt. And then he meets this girl on the beach. Uh, I'm trying to remember what her, Nora, Nora, I think her name was. Yeah. And he meets Nora, and I feel like besides the big bacchanalia scene that we have, which is just kind of batshit crazy, uh, that kind of goes on for a while, I feel like there's very little that happens then after he's kind of maybe turned the corner and starting to maybe enjoy or look forward to this new life he has. It's just a very small amount of time before then he crashes uh, with the big party scene and all that kind of stuff. So I would have liked to have seen a little bit more there before it changed over and just to kind of, you know, play with us a little bit more about maybe this new relationship and wonder what's going to happen in his life before then, you know, he finds out a lot of uh, new information about uh, his party guests and things like that. But overall, I thought it was really good and the end was interesting and bring it back, yes, to that room that we knew we'd get to see again of everybody doing their own I guess, ways to pass the time. Yeah. It kind of looked like they'd assigned everybody a hobby. You're going to be the guy playing solitaire and you're going to be the guy putting together a model. I mean, they all just had their little tasks like it was a vocation they were learning or something. But yeah, overall, I thought it was good. I enjoyed it. So what's the deal, Nathan? <laughs> uh, well, so this was one that we had picked up on Criterion Side Unseen uh, last year. And... I just immediately fell in love with it. It's 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 a little weird. Obviously, through the middle part of it, I think it, it kind of shifts its tone a little bit, which is I think a little strange. But um, I think overall, the science fiction part of it really works well with the the cinematography as, as it is and Rock Hudson's performance. I I like I knew him as a puff guy from all these love stories and just to see him actually perform was was really pretty uh amazing although if you look i think a lot of his performance was performance by doing because apparently he was actually tragically drunk for all those scenes in that party and i mean that was method yeah is my understanding (laughs) no i mean i'm not kidding i think yeah no he was he was a student of method yeah Yeah. i mean the scenes where he's being carted off in the gurney that would be stressful for anybody, whether they were acting it or not. So, yeah, uh, I felt like they so showed about I, three times as much of that as they needed to. Like yeah. it was yeah, just it went on really unsettling and uncomfortable, and he just kept screaming. Yeah, I you know the only thing I, if I had to complain about anything in this movie is that I wish that it did a, just a slightly better job, kind of buttoning up some of the logistics of what's happening in the background, um, like there's the scene where the guy confronts him at the airport, for example, like it it wasn't real clear to me either time. I had to kind of look it up, honestly, either time watching the movie, whether he was transformed into this random drawing or if he was made to look like an actual individual. And then they played that tape. uh, It started like how many balls it's a red ball or something like that. And then they jump on and say, well, you're, you're, I want to be an artist. Yeah. And so it was really kind of hard to figure out from that standpoint, 
okay, wh- where did they get the cadaver from or what was the cadaver? I, I had assumed when I watched it the first time and kind of did again this time that the cadaver was all about, well, they had to put something in the hotel room to um, show that there was a, a dead body there. Right. And they, you know, took fingerprints off of his fingers and took teeth out of his mouth and traded them. But I didn't realize that I don't know that they traded them so much as they made sure that the new person had no connection to the old person, right? Right, okay. It was so that the new yeah. person didn't have the dental uh, match or the fingerprint match with the dead person. Yeah, it was It was just so that like there was enough to go on height, weight, right. you know, your dimensions that they can say, yeah, this is a this-age male... F- this height, this weight, this person's missing, it fits a description. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think what we were kind of discussing is, you know, the cadavers, are they all coming from people that had were, weren't satisfied with their original body placement and now they've, you know, this was stage three and they've become cadavers. It seemed like whoever, you know, John Randolph becomes essentially Rock Hudson, has his this cadaver's face and fingerprints put on him that kind of thing and then he chooses supposedly to be an artist while drugged but at the same time then when they say okay we set something up for you in malibu and you're this artist and your name is is tony wilson when he flies out there here's this guy at the airport that recognizes him as tony wilson so does that mean that the body that they used for his trans- transformation was originally there in malibu was he already no an no artist? oh okay so i can clear that up um so they uh the the original version of him the john randolph version of him was surgically changed into the rock hudson version of him right well we saw that in the face obviously they were doing the rhinoplasty that that's what happened so yeah that person didn't exist until that surgery was completed the guy, but then the guy at the airport was an employee. He calls him by the name. Well, that's yeah. what we were wondering. But that, then what's see, the purpose of that? See, that's not what I read though. I went and looked it up because I was curious. And what they are saying online about the description of that's what I thought the first time I watched it too. By the way, was that the guy running to him in the airport was just one of the many employees? Like, oh, you know, just to kind of make him set him off a little bit on his path, you know, of being this new person. But the way they describe it in some of the reviews and the explanations online is that um, that actually he was made to look like a specific person and that everything about this person was pulled from a real person. I mean, so that's, I, that's I don't know. Possible. Maybe I'm, that explanation was way off base and we've been just thrown for a loop on that. But um, I, I think the movie could have been just a little clearer on that uh, and that would have been helpful. That's possible, but it, it, it introduces a lot more complications. It would be a lot harder for the person to blend in if they had to assume somebody else's life. So it, it really wouldn't make thought. sense for the company to do that. Although it sounds like most of the time he's totally surrounded by other people. Yeah. What do they call them? Reborns. Reborns. So he's surrounded. <laughs> I mean, the whole the whole dinner party, the whole cocktail party is all reborns, essentially, and his employee girlfriend. So yeah. uh, I don't know how much reentering, you know, they would really have. It's It seems like they moved him into a neighborhood of a bunch of other reborns. I don't know. Maybe they bought out a whole housing addition just for their project. But I was also kind of wondering, you know, here if his body then will become a cadaver, 
that is used for somebody else, what's what's the recycle rate on that? I mean, how many so, <laughs> how many new lives do you get out of a body? So that's that's the deal with uh, the guy that I called Orville Redenbacher, who was like the old inventor guy <laughs> right. that showed up yes. every once in a while. So he invented this process and this company and and all of these things, and rather than you know. Um, uh, rather than the plot or rather than what the company wants to do is to is to give people a second chance at life which is what they're telling them they're doing they're actually trying to perfect that process and they keep failing and failing and failing so all of those men that are in that room are failures and once you've mm-hmm. reached the failure state your job is to recruit somebody new and if you recruit somebody new you're promised a second chance you're promised seconds so once Charlie gets him in there and gets him to the point where he can uh, he can be you know trusted and all that, he can go. Or on the other hand, if Rock Hudson is a failure and there's no saving him, then Charlie can also go because inevitably Charlie is going to be a cadaver for somebody new, right? So that's right. that's how Thinking all of that he's works. Not not realizing that's what's going to happen to himself, right? Because that's the right. final twist of the movie is that they don't have this elaborate cadaver system. They control a certain number of men, and that certain number of men, you know, people new to the system don't know what they look like. But once you're in the system and you've gone through it, they make sure you're in that safe community where you can't screw up. Where you know, Nora is going to test and see if like you tell somebody that you love that you're a second person um right there's the john character who's like gonna follow around and make sure that everything you do is like correct and all that stuff so i think that what the company wants is for him to pass all of that so that they can use him in some way outside of the company or so that they can move to the next phase of their plans and production um to start saying we've we've got this process nailed down and like the surgeon at the end says like you're my best work and he said that he has to you know destroy himself destroy the rock hudson version maybe this is all part of the manchurian candidate oh that's right same director (laughs) um same director (laughs) i uh i had trouble with um the main character's motives. I had a real hard time figuring out what the hell he wanted because in the beginning of the movie, it's like, you know, he gets this secret message and it looks like he's trying to put some excitement back into his life or that he wants to, he wants to get out of his middle-aged thing. And he has a couple of times through the movie where he talks about, you know, I spent all this time acquiring these things and the things don't make me happy and I don't want the things. But then once he's transformed, like he's not really that into Nora and then he's not really that into being this new person and being this painting guy or whatever. And then as soon as he gets drunk, he's just like, this is stupid. I hate it. Eh." Well, there, there's a scene where they talk specifically about that, and it, it follows up from his, uh, his talk with his previous self's wife, 
um, he, she mentions that you know she didn't know what he wanted either. He always seemed so malcontent, and he he mentions to the company why he wants another shot is uh, the the reason he wasn't succeeding is because he's never had a dream before. He's never really wanted anything. Yeah, I mean, I guess that makes sense. And, and I mean, literally, it makes sense as that's, you know, the text of the movie. I just, like, watching his performance, it was hard for me to tell, like, like why, and you know, and, and in looking back at it in retrospect, it's like they sort of force him, half force him into the, the wine stomping scene the grape stomping scene and then he's like happy once he's in it but he just seems to be against everything that is happening to him even though everything that's happening to him seems to be like the sort of thing a guy stuck in a rut would want to do like wouldn't you want to meet a woman on a beach and go to some crazy hippie party where everyone gets naked and Stomps on grapes. I mean, I wouldn't personally, but <laughs> this guy, like, but other people, might, guys in the '60s, know. maybe, were into that sort of thing. That dirty, you know, dirty wine. Well, I uh, <laughs> after after watching this, I I wanted to do a little bit of research, see what other movies this guy made, and this, I saw the Manchurian Candidate, and I was like, of course, uh, the the director must have been horribly paranoid. But um, there was a there was a story that I I read online about this movie being directly responsible for a Beach Boys album getting canceled. I saw uh, something about that too. Um, yeah, yeah. The f- Brian Wilson got very intimidated. Yeah, Brian Wilson thought the movie because they kept referring to him as Mr. Wilson as a threat from like Phil Spector. Well, yeah. So Brian Wilson was. A paranoid schizophrenic um, and he saw this movie and he th- he thought that it was like yeah he thought that like Phil Spector had made it specifically to like brainwash him and it messed him up really bad so and I actually <laughs> so before funny. I even knew that when I was watching the movie I thought when they kept saying Mr. Wilson I was like, huh, I wonder if he's going to be like related to Brian Wilson at some point. And then he'll be lying in bed just like Brian Wilson did. Um, I kept having Dennis the Menace flashes whenever they would. I keep going in my head, hey, Mr. Wilson. Dennis. He, he definitely had that type of attitude. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, this was still a really not, grouchy Rock Hudson. <laughs> still not as big of a jackass as Mike Love, though, so... Who knows? No Beach Boys fans in the crowd. All right, whatever. <laughs> um, so um, yeah, I I would recommend this people or this I would recommend this people to movies that have seen. I, I would recommend <laughs> this movie uh, to people looking for you know sort of classic cinema, um, early sci-fi kind of stuff. It's more graphic than I would expect from a 1960s movie, but it's not crazy. It's not over the top. And uh, 
the uh, version, I watched it on Canopy, and I'm pretty sure that they had like a DVD from Criterion because it looked great. Particularly the interior shots looked great. When it was on the beach, you could tell it was all um, sort of blotted out with uh, digital artifacts, but it looked totally fine to me. So um, I would, I would, I would recommend it to people that are in that camp. I would recommend it to people that that enjoy like mind bending sci fi, especially those that have to do with like genetics and things like that, like the the sixth day or the island or something like that. Uh, they they might find some enjoyment with this movie. Reminds me a lot of Black Mirror. I mean, we talked about Twilight Zone earlier, which is an obvious um, thing, but I think this also reminds me a lot of Black Mirror. It also has a With bit of technology. Uh, a lot of people say that this is the plot of It's a Wonderful Life, but it's really only like the last twenty minutes when he sees what the world's like without him. It's got a little hint of that in it as well, um, and I thought that even before he went back and visited his wife, that it's like sort of that theme of the world's better off without me, or I'm better off without without my past sort of thing. Hmm. But yeah, if you go back and watch It's a Wonderful Life, it's like, dear God, there's like 140 minutes before the angel even arrives. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. But that's all people remember about that movie. Aaron, it's your turn to suggest a movie. What would you like for us to watch? Well, while I was roaming around on Canopy, I found a movie that is a a go-to of mine that I I really enjoy. It's called Bringing Out the Dead. It's a Scorsese film. Oh, yeah. I've been wanting to watch that again. I just saw that like ages ago, and I was telling Alicia about it. I'm trying to remember if I've seen that one or not. Like the ER of Scorsese movies. It's Nicholas Cage as an EMT. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've seen clips from it in uh, in Nick Cage going crazy videos. Yeah, yeah. It's it's good <laughs> stuff. And and Nick Cage is back in the news because he got cast to play Joe Exotic from Tiger King. Oh my God! Uh, yes. <laughs> oh, heaven that, help that us. That might be too perfect. That might actually make Tiger King worth it. Oh, man. Tiger King was already worth it. No. Especially <laughs> to somebody that just no, binged so 90 Day Fiancé. That's what I was just thinking. The 90 Day Fiancé binger is, is putting the kibosh on Tiger King. Listen, okay? If the last 20%, 40% of 90 Day Fiancé totally sucks balls and goes nowhere... I will say it's the same as Tiger King. But Tiger King was like like three interesting episodes and then just a bunch of cliffhangers that go nowhere and we already know he's in prison and there there's nothing else to say about this. It's just it's Joe Dirt, the actual guy, the motion picture. Well, I mean, it's it's the kind of genius level casting that's similar to, you know, Snakes on a Plane with Samuel L. Jackson. I mean, 
Yeah. You don't get any better than wrapping an entire movie around him being able to say that one damn line. Well, <laughs> well you know, they almost didn't make it. Yeah. 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 They, they tried to change it to like. They tried to make it a PG 13 movie. Well, they the changed it to like Flight 74, and he called him and he's like, I'm out. Yeah. I only said yes because the name of the movie is Snakes on a Plane. And then they wanted it to. <laughs> Literally, he. That's literally why he accepted the movie. He was like, "If they call this movie Snakes on a Plane, I'm in." And then people started <laughs> memeing the the obvious Samuel L. Jackson line would be, "That's it. I've had it with these motherfucking snakes on this motherfucking plane." And then they tried to. After they shot it, they were going to cut it down to a PG-13 to get it to a bigger audience. And there was another uproar, and Samuel L. Jackson threw a fit again. And so. It is so, like the R-rated cut of that movie. It's so weirdly spliced in there. They're in this scene where a whole bunch of other stuff is happening, and then all of a sudden, it just like tights in on Samuel L. Jackson, and he goes, "That <laughs> is it." So it's like obviously shot <laughs> to be PG thirteen, and there's just easy little cuts you can make and 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 get those things out of there. So. Uh. Well, I don't know if you guys remember at the time, I know I've told Nathan this before, but they had a huge campaign where you could have Samuel L. Jackson call you and your loved ones oh, yeah. to tell tell you hello and tell you about those snakes on we, that plane. We did it all the time. Uh, <laughs> I did too. It was so much fun. I did, we did it all the time. I, I was running a company at the time. I took everybody in my company out to see it on opening day. Um, it was like one of our like summer holiday treat things. But yeah, what you would do is, um, you would give it, you would you would choose your name and your friend's name, and then it would splice together audio of Samuel L. Jackson, and he would call up and he'd be like, Nathan, Nathan, it's your boy Samuel L. Jackson. Hey, I just heard from your pal Dale that you guys are going out to see snakes on a plane on opening day. Can't wait to see you guys. Hope you love the movie. You know, that kind of thing. It yeah. was, and it was yeah, just awesome. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> like, everybody I know is getting one of these now. Yeah, I think that promotional uh, gimmick was right up there with uh, when the Blair Witch Project came out and they had that whole website when the internet was still pretty new that kind of had, you know, footage of the house and photographs where they found this film and all that kind of stuff and had just the whole website totally in line with what was happening in the movie i thought that was great i thought the snakes on the plane was great good stunts yeah yeah i learned blair witch was fiction about three hours before the actual movie yeah unfortunately (laughs) i was gonna see the movie and i heard about just the wrong spoiler and i was like shit and it would have been much more fun if it had been thought to be real but yeah i'm glad i saw it on on home theater instead of in the theater like it would have made me very ill it's pretty shaky it's (laughs) it's not nearly as bad as hardcore harry though i had to walk out of that shit oh i enjoyed that movie Aaron and I both oh, I enjoyed couldn't, that. I couldn't sit it. I was like, oh, I'm about to hurl. That The difference there is that's like, uh, that was more like video game graphics. It's like playing a first-person right. shooter, whereas Blair Witch was just like, the camera was not doing natural head movements. It was like sway, 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 sway. 
And so, right. Yeah. The interesting thing on, on Hardcore Henry was um, when we went and watched it in theaters, I did not have a problem with the camera at all. I watched it at home, and I got motion sickness. Hmm. Maybe it was just what I ate right before the movie, but <laughs> I I I sat I had bought the popcorn and I was sitting there with my Coke and I'm like fuck I was like 15 minutes and I'm like you, I can't do this you you drank I think I went went down the road and watched a Disney movie or something you had a couple of glasses of the Titan Curly is what happened that's oh, what it, was. <laughs> it all comes back and that's that's how it, to the bacchanalia so yeah bringing out the dead uh, is available on Amazon Canopy a bunch of other weird things and able to rent on most of the major platforms um it's nicholas cage do it by god um and that'll do it for us thanks for joining me for the podcast uh thanks for everybody out there for listening we'll see you on the next deeply discussing movie podcast <laughs>